This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to your favorite rock and roll podcast. Check out this record. My name is Frank, and with me is my good buddy, Marvelous Mark. Oh, Frankie. Hey, Paisan. Oh, hey. (laughs) You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music Podcast, and you can see these mugs right here on YouTube. Well, when does this wonderfully charming little podcast get released? Great question. Thank you for asking. We drop new episodes each and every Friday for your listening. And as Frank mentioned, your viewing pleasure. Oh, wow. 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 That's right. Well, wow. So if you're hearing wow. this for the first time, then you're probably not annoyed with us for one of our past reviews. Greta Van Fleet. So welcome. Welcome here. We review records track by track, and we have lots of musical discussions. We do spotlight episodes, which might even include ooh, some mysteries. And ooh. we only begin to scratch the surface. So, Mark, we're just getting warmed up. That's right. That's right. Uh, Be sure to check us out in our verse series where we'll pit two bands or albums or songs or whatever we feel like against each other and make them duke it out for what we like to call total stereo domination. Loved it. The jaw, the jaw, just uh, the movement of the jaw, too. So thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook, and hopefully these episodes will leave you wanting more of our musical goodness, Mark's random nonsense. And if you have a record you want us to check out, drop a comment wherever you find us while you're like it, while you're at it, like, subscribe, review. So I say this, Mark, I'm kind of mad. Why, buddy? Did did they cancel Mash again? No, 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 no. That's been canceled for years, Mark. <laughs> Sorry. It was on earlier. I didn't know. It was. It was. <laughs> I do like Alan Alda, though. But listen, it's because the band we're going to talk about mm. is critical, yet not commercially successful. And I Son wish... I know, and I wish more people knew about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, before we get into them and the album we talk about, Mark, you love, you know, I love a good genre mashup. I do. Um, like a fresh hunk of mozzarella, right? Ooh. I know. Mm. But let's talk mm-hmm. about when country met punk. And, sure. And we have this beautiful blend called cowpunk. Mark, mm-hmm. you hear this? What artists, bands come to mind um, in this mix for you? Right. So for me, primarily, I think of bands like Social Distortions. Mm-hmm. Please see our back catalog and hear us talk about their amazing Live at the Roxy oh, album. So good. Um, but I'm also thinking of bands like The Gun Club. And I, I actually think the Violent Femmes fit in really nicely here. Yeah. And uh, a, a fun one I found recently is The Blasters. The you Blasters. know, I love a name like The Blasters. Yeah. Yeah. Marie Marie, man. They do some really, mm-hmm. really good tunes. Um. So I joined a Facebook group recently in my mm-hmm. quest to, to trace this genre back to its inception or close to it, and it was directed to loads of bands that were cowpunk alternative country that I'll eventually need to check out. And obviously, I think we, we need to do so as well. Some of those band names are Rank and File, The Georgia Satellites, The Long Riders, Blood on the Saddle, The Rave Ups, Walk the West, The Dell Roads, Dash Dip Rock, Driving and Crying, even the punk band X. 
the Meat Puppets, right? And of course, the band we're going to talk about, Jason and the Scorchers. Um, now we can sit in detail the dates as to who played what first. And, you know, if you want to listen to those that I mentioned, uh, you will hear rock tinges, right? Rock tinges of, of uh, and, it, and it gets loud and it gets loud. Mm-hmm. However, when I think of Cowpunk, Mark, in the context of 1981, which is when Jason and the Scorchers officially formed, I think of deep country roots like Hank Williams with mm-hmm. loud, fast Ramon style guitars and pop and drums. Uh, let me also add that Social D, as Mark said, brought this uh, to the mix. However, Prison Bound actually didn't come out until 88. So, right. Mark, would you agree with the whole Hank Williams Ramones bit here? Uh, that is a fact. A fact. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Also, I like to describe Cowpunk. Um, it's far more than just kind of country played as hard rock, which is what I, I think a lot of people confuse it for. Totally. It's got uh, a considerably more depth uh, than what most people call country music these days. I don't know. I'm going to be that arrogant prick and just say that. No, I'll say it um, too. Don't worry. <laughs> in that they, they hold it very tightly to, to the core of what country music was very much supposed to be in the vein of folks like Hank Williams, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, with the guitars and drums, you know, stretching that genre past hard rocks uh, by taking uh, much of what worked really in rockabilly uh, and the classic 50s rock and roll world and really applying it to that country aesthetic. I, I really feel like um, they're able to get a lot more aggressive and they're al- they're allowed to do a lot more emotionally with it than a country band that's just doing some hard rock. I feel like that's right. limited by by expanding to this style, by having a little bit of that rockabilly, having a little bit of that rock and roll and having a good, healthy chunk of that country music. You know, it really comes together. And, and um, I've probably gone off on a little bit of a tangent here. Um, you know, I'll just say as a style, it satisfies all kinds of tastes, right? From hipsters to bikers, to cowboys, to punks, to anyone who really just wants to party. It's a totally sound. Um, bring us back to Jason and the Scorchers though, Frank. (laughs) That was was a great description though. I got to be honest, man. That was, that was really good. And Mm -hmm. uh, visually, like I I just, my mind exploding with, with all sorts of goodness, but to bring back to the band, let, let's kind of talk about the, the inception here. So we have to yep. start off with Jason Ringenberg. So born in Sheffield, Illinois, and he grew up on his family's farm. After college, he wanted to start a rock and roll band. And in 1981, he moved to Nashville. Now, this is when Nashville was not the hotspot that it is today, meaning the on average, 100 people moved their day. In 1981, this wasn't, this wasn't like this. Um, Jason states that the sound really was people like Lee Greenwood, Barbara Mandrell, and, and Randy Travis, which was very slick and produced. And on a side note, my early years on Long Island, like the first country guy I ever knew was Randy Travis because he would win all the awards at the shows, right? That's like the only guy I knew at the time. Kenny Rogers followed maybe shortly after. Mm-hmm. So Jason states that it was all instinct. It's logically, he should have chosen LA, New York, London, uh, but he had an affinity for Infinity, excuse me, for Dylan and Neil Young, uh, and he was also enamored by the Ramones and Jerry Lee. So shortly after he moved to Nashville, he would go around saying he wanted to combine Mini Pearl with Ramones' pistol sound, uh, basically American roots, he would say, with a shot of punk rock energy. Uh, mm-hmm. Finally, some people would actually stop laughing at him and began to take him seriously. And the first incarnations of the band, were, they were called Jason and the Nashville Scorchers. And their first show, they opened up for Carl Perkins. Pretty cool. Uh, Pretty, pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. Eventually, they would settle on their primary band members of Perry Bags on drums, Jeff Johnson on bass, and a character and a half. If you watch his interviews, the guitarist Warner Hodges, again, or he's any live footage. Oh, my God. Complete character. 
So in 82, Mark, they released the EP Reckless Country Soul. And in 83, uh, they released uh, Fervor, which gained attention with the Bob Dylan song, Absolutely Sweet Marie. Now, two things to note. So in 82, they would open for the Ramones, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that guitarist, Warner Hodges, had no idea that that Absolutely Sweet Marie was a Dylan song. And and he stated that he wouldn't agree to it if he knew it. Uh, When mixed in the studio, the the producer turns to him and says, this Dylan song is going to sound great. And he's like, what Dylan song? Because he wanted to play actually louder and faster. And at the time, Dylan was what he didn't want to do. Um, So now we have this album at hand, Mark. Lost Mm -hmm. and Found, released in 1985. Mark, you gave this a spin. What's, What's circulating through your mind? Whoa, I love this unapologetic approach to music. It's got great energy plus a serious pop element uh, to it that makes you wonder how this record label weren't able to take this band and mold them into something better. Um, They have a complex sound uh, best described as raw attitude uh, and pop inclinations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's great, man. Yeah, I mean, it's just a raw sounding record. And um, let's get the track, shall we? Yeah. First track is Last Time Around. Uh, but this, is a, this is the first song. And I would say that this is the track that I would direct people over to if they've never heard the band before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not just chords and a twang. These guys can play. It's got great speed, stellar bass, uh, Warner's guitar playing, especially on that outro. It brings chills. Oh, and the lyrics, they're no slouch either. Uh, Jason says, time will tell. Uh, we all will see the wrath of judgment dancing free down the one-way corner of fame. But the question still can answer why, like a baby's first baptism cry, still do you hear, still do you bear, uh, can you hear? Mark, are, are you loving this as an opening track as much as I am? Oh, oh yeah. I, I love this guitar tone. I love the steady, uh, just thumping rhythm section. Both of these guys are fantastic. Plus, this chorus is really killer. It just hooks you right in. Um, How was this not a hit? I don't understand how this wasn't the lead track and the lead single. Uh, EMI fucked up hard on this. Oh, my God. Totally. I mean, it's just. And not a video. Think about MTV during those days when they just played video. They had so much time to fulfill on on their station. So we didn't have to get like the the same five videos over. How isn't this in someone's lap? I agree, Mark. They totally, mm-hmm. they totally messed up. Yeah. All he needs is band walking around Nashville, some live concert footage, maybe them drinking at a bar. That's it. That's the whole video. That's it. It's the whole video. That's it. That's it. It would have been perfect. It would have been a hit. Man, if we could time travel back to 85, me and Mark would mm-hmm. be the band's representation and we would totally just make them huge stars, right? Yep, that's right. <laughs> Track two is White Lies. This song actually did receive some MTV play in the early days. Uh, I found it to be a great and energetic track. Again, Ramon's punk style uh, guitar with riffs stuck in between the gaps. Uh, it's catchy as hell if you watch this live. Obviously, the band has a crazy amount of energy uh, and you won't be disappointed. Uh, one of their most popular songs, Mark, am I telling White Lies or do you think that this song is legit good you know that's a hard question frank i like (laughs) the energy of this song but lyrically it it lets me down because there are some great uh songwriting choices made on this album um but here this is not one of them i think this is this actually might be like the weakest Mm. uh track on the the album for me that or the next one um i say this you know like I'm not trying to shit on the band here. It's got a great energy. It's fun. Um, You know, I love when a band will let a drummer write a song. This is one of those situations where, hey, look, maybe he came up with cool music. Maybe the chorus kind of works. 
a lot of the rest of it needed needed some fixing. And that's why, hey, look, you make this a single, the band doesn't take off. Why not? Because this is like the weakest choice you could have made. <laughs> you could so going from the first track to this track, obviously you could, tell, you could tell the lyrical difference right away. Right. Which is maybe Jason should have penned this one lyrically. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, I, I remember seeing some of the interviews as we're getting ready for this, and he said, you know, it was a lot of help when the other guys wanted to help write songs because it took some of the pressure off me. Sure. And I feel like some of that pressure might have helped the band long term. <laughs> but you know what? Hey. They made some interesting choices. Again, I can't believe a record label let this go. I can't believe a record label picked this to be the first choice. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of record labels interfering, but my God, like of all the times you guys just sat out, where, where were you for this? Because this, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, track three is If the Money Talks. Um, I, I think the guitar playing is really cool here, and it's very mm -hmm. nice and audible. Again, this madman of Warner is just really playing his ass off here, and, and we get Jason's harmonica right in the middle, which creates really this innovative atmosphere for stuff no one, I think, was hearing or doing at the time. Uh, then we get a solo. So I, I think musically it's a great tune. What did you say? Um, do, do you feel the, that same way, Mark, or...? Well, you know, uh, we have another song written by drummer Perry Bags here. Right. Uh, Braggs, excuse me. Uh, musically, you nailed it. The song rips, man. Um, Frank was telling you the truth. I wish they did more with this song lyrically, but honestly, mm -hmm. I mean, it's still a fun song. But again, sure. hey, look, maybe the chorus works. We, we got to figure out the rest of this so that as a band, you can make it something better. Um, you know, yeah, it, it's unfortunate because I, I, I agree with you. This is a fun track. The We'll get into it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> track, <laughs> track four is I Really Don't Want to Know. Uh, it's a cover song here by one Donald Robertson. Uh, the band uh, takes it really with this heavy intro, and bam, we get like a spastic uh, 180 turn into the verse and a Ramon-style chorus. Uh, our, Mr., our friend Mr. Harmonica shows up again, and we get this really mm -hmm. mellow, almost jam session over Jason's vocal, then a rock and buildup. Uh, Mark, your thoughts on this track? I'm big time into it, Frankie. Uh, I love the way you can hear this song just kind of strut around like a cowboy with a chip on his shoulder. It's, nice. it's awesome. The band really puts uh, in the right amount of rhythm and blues here to sell its slower tempoed parts, but never lacks uh, when it comes to playing those instruments. Really tight song, really great tribute, right? Uh, you know, a lot like we talked about um, with the, uh, the blues album we just covered, um, from the Jason, Joe, Joe Bonamassa, Joe Bonamassa. So yeah. I, I, my initials mixed up on me. Um, you know, when we talk about that, that old school tradition of covering songs to pass them down, I think these guys did a great job of picking a fantastic song, making it their own, right. And leaving it for the, for the rest of the universe to find. And I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Such a good track. Track five, Blanket of Sorrow. I mean, really nice traditional country tune with, with like that Hank Williams heartbreak, but the Scorchers sped this up. Uh, the twang mixed with the faster guitars, really pleasant to the ears. It's a prime example of a song to me that should have been popular on those, you know, country music charts, Mark. <laughs> I think it's important to remember uh, that it was 1985 when this came out. And if you want to get hung up on the use of the phrase Indian giver, right. uh, I think that's your right as a listener. Um, I'm going to move past it because I think it was part of the cultural zeitgeist. And really, if you look at the context of this song, if you look at the way he's using it, he's not using it to be racist. So let's just move on and accept it 
you know, it's not a great phrase that hopefully people stop using. Anyways, right. that said, musically and lyrically, uh, I'd like a little bit more out of this song. I, I wish they would have turned it from 10 to 11, if you know what I mean. They needed that little push over the edge. Uh, it's a little too traditional for, for my liking, but it really does work. It sounds good. Um, you know, I'm just not here for traditional, right? I'm here for that amped up sound. Sure. Um, but, you know, lyrically, it's just not as fun or as catchy as as most of the original songs on this album. Uh, right. You know, I, I think it's it's one of the lower lights, but it's not a bad song. Sure, sure. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the uh, the Spinal Tap uh, reference because literally an hour ago, I was just doing the same with the family. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you bring up a good point, too, with the lyrics. Like, that's the proper way to look at it. Being like, you know, that was 1985. Right. Yeah. Let's like you said, move, move past it and stuff like that. So um, shop it around track six, another great catchy tune, great guitar riff in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you took Jason's vocals out, I think you would have something to mid eighties Ramones here. Uh, I really enjoyed the guitar work. Great solo during the course. It's not just chords. uh, It's these little twangy pieces that show the attention to detail in these fun tunes. Mark, are you enjoying shop it around as much as I am? I really am. And I was, I was watching some live footage of the band, as I mentioned, um, and th- this was actually a small hit in England. Right. Yeah. Is, is kind of funny. And I, I don't know how this didn't make mainstream radio or at least country radio here. Ugh. Right. 1985. This thing is is poppy and perfect. It's got killer hooks. The solo is rad. Yeah. It's got it's got a little bit of everything. A huge missed opportunity here for really a fun song like Shop It Around. I mean. <laughs> Look, throw this in any mall. You're having a great time. Thank throw this you. In a mall. Could you imagine you're drinking your orange whip? Oh, look, uh, the new Oldsmobiles are in. <laughs> uh, disco. Pure One Imports. Pants. Pure One Imports. This place has everything. <laughs> Do you have a Miss Piggy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can start doing this But good thing that Mark, you keep bringing up this opportunity. Missed opportunity. It's, it's a theme throughout this whole mm-hmm. this, this whole band's uh, career, unfortunately. Track seven, Lost Highway, written by written by Leon Payne and made famous, of course, by Hank Williams. Although mm-hmm. it's a cover, uh, if this isn't the genre of cowpunk, then I don't know what is. It's a perfect marriage of the genres, if you ask me. Uh, Mark, are you digging this as a follow up? Uh, are you digging this? And as a follow up question, um, isn't it annoying that? Bon Jovi has a song called Lost Highway, and and we know it's a hot steaming pile of crap. I would like to state for the record, damn you, John Bon Jovi! <laughs> oh, so frustrating. So with that said, yes, uh, I love how Jason and the Scorchers <laughs> tackle this cover. It's aggressive, it's fun, uh, and most of all, again, really honors dudes like Leon Payne and Hank Williams by oh making God. sure they work, um, they, making sure the work they did really lives on. Great, great job on the cover here. Oh, it's so good. And an interview too, Jason was saying when he was sitting on his guitar, you know, trying to figure this out instead of doing I'm a Rolling Stone, like in that country kind mm-hmm. of uh, beat, he's like, I'm a Rolling Stone. And I was just like, that's so awesome how he just yeah. decided just to speed that thing up. Uh, so cool. Track eight already, still tied. This is an mm. interesting track. Really roots country here with folklore narratives. Uh, watching the interviews, with Jason says separately and then Warner and Jeff, I would bet money uh, before I saw who wrote is that this was Jason all the way. And I know it mm-hmm. is uh, such a powerful tune. And Mark, I will say this a thousand times when I hear people say, I don't like country. Okay. Well, listen to a song like this and then get back with me. Uh, Mark, uh, are you really digging what I feel to be a very authentic tune here? 
Yeah, I really am. I know earlier I was like, oh, I'm not feeling this traditional country, but the placement on the album here, allowing listeners a little bit of room to breathe after that faster track yeah. really pays off quite nicely. Amazing storytelling from Jason here on the delivery, um, you know, and, and the band does a great job of really filling in the sound with this kind of almost like a hazy atmosphere yeah. that makes it feel like Jason's voice is kind of just floating somewhere out there in the ether before nice. finding its way to your ears. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites uh, from the album. Such a good song. Mm-hmm. S- such a good song. Such a good song. Track nine, Broken Whiskey Glass. Uh, mm. Mark, we get a song. We get to a song like this. And, Hell and yeah. for me, wow, wow, wow. This could be Jason's best work as a songwriter. I'm not saying at all this is Thunder Road. But all I'm saying is that that's the song I had the comparison for the comparison point where the, the song just builds up and it gets better as the lyrics progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the slow beginning and the, and the verse two really gives us like a classic fifties rock and roll pianos and the lyrics, like you went to Memphis to find yourself read every Elvis book on the shelf, even popped a pillar or two to make you feel like a honky tonk star, man, that's great stuff. And, and Mark, uh, can you go on living in your broken whiskey glass? Uh, maybe in your broken whiskey glass, right? I think I could. Uh, you know, I love the way this that we get this song after we come off a song like Still Tied. They don't just, you know, come out steamrolling again with the energy. They really build it up to this great chorus. You know, Jerry Lee had to have been a huge influence on the sound and on, on this song. And I just couldn't be happier about it. It's a phenomenal number. Really showcases the entire band's just strength and ability to play. I would say, though, I, I get why you make the Thunder Road comparison. Yeah. Um, a, as another Bruce fan, um, I I would argue, and I, I understand why you chose that song. Right. I would argue as a Bruce fan that this is closer to The Flood which I think you and I will both agree is a better Bruce song. Oh yeah, totally. To- but, but no, you're, you're, excuse me. Yeah, 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 no, no, you're right though. It, it's that same buildup in, mm-hmm. in the verses where as you and keep going, yeah. It gets darker, it gets heavier, it gets yeah, moodier. Yeah, that's true. That's and you know, uh, I, I love the way he's self-referential in this. He's talking about like, you know, Jason died. Yeah. Like, oh my God, dude, Jason choked to death. Jason, yeah. was, you know, like it's so great. Um, yeah. Great Ex- tune. Excellent tune. Yeah. Oh, so good. So Have good. I mentioned that I like that song? <laughs> <laughs> One of the first, I think that yeah, to yeah, me. I mean, uh, bleh, so good. So boring. good. <laughs> Track 10, we get Far Behind, another slower, classic kind of heartfelt country tune. This was actually penned by bass player Jeff Johnson and drummer Perry Baggs. Uh, I, I like the concentration on the harmonies here, almost in an Everly Brothers style. Uh, Mark, you digging this song? Those opening fiddles and lyrics are just so haunting and beautiful. Yeah. I want to say that right off the bat. I love that they, they didn't shy away from doing a slow, sad number. Um, I'm really, uh, I'm going to guess that they're, they're not going to get the credit they deserve uh, from the outlaw country movement either. Cause fuck those guys. Those guys are so full of themselves. (laughs) Jason and the scorchers belong in their fucking hall of fame. Uh, It's too bad. Cause those dudes, they would eat this up, but but they're not willing to admit how cool this is because it's remotely punk. And that's their problem. This is a great tune. The song has uh, a ton of heart to it. And I think you you make an excellent point, right? They take all of these really classic elements of country in that slow country, sad song. And really he makes it dark. He makes it personal. He makes it, you really can connect to the song uh, from, from a, from a dark place. And that's not something you get 
in modern country music. I don't think that's something you got in modern country music in 1985. I don't think so. It was so no. slick, so slick and produced. Yeah, those those assholes can keep just filling up their red solo cups. I'll be listening to it. <laughs> It's so slick and produced by that time that you weren't yeah. getting you weren't getting anything. That that's yeah. where that turn to pop music I think occurred, where it's basically you know pop pop music with a twang, right? Yeah. <laughs> track eleven changed the tune. Uh, it's a last track with a nice drum and bass intro with Hodges bringing in some of the mandolin. Uh, then bam, we kind of get where we started with with this high energy punk kind of rock and roll country song. It's nice and short. Sums up the album. Mark, what what about you? Yeah. Uh- you really feel a bit of just new wave glued right onto the front of this. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's, it's really killer. The energy here. Uh, another one that really surprised me wasn't a single. Mm. It just has this very eighties pop quality to it that feels uh, familiar and comfortable, but it's its own song. It really, I uh, maybe not the best choice as a closer. Sure. Um, cause I think some of those slower tunes we just talked about, right. Totally. Um, in particular could have, you know, I think far behind would have been a great closer broken whiskey glass oh, that and, been and still tied. Still tied yeah. Would have been great closers. And I mean, I like the idea of change the tune, the name of it as the last track. Cause it's kind of like, Hey, the record's over. Go <laughs> F yourself and do something else. Right. Like it's kind of, it's got that punk rock. It's true. To it. It's true. But I, I think I would have liked to see this end on a little bit more of the, the serious side for them. Um, I really dig this song again. Another missed opportunity. Why wasn't this a single? There's that Why theme again. It? This should have been on the soundtrack to He Man Masters of the Universe. Oh, and, and it, you would have been like, What is this? Instead of the garbage that was on that soundtrack, oh my god, throw this in there, and that, and all of a sudden, you're like, Yeah, I'm bebopping around. Like, <laughs> let's go, let's go get that dude who looks like Gay Shredder or whatever that guy's problem is. <laughs> hey, it's okay other... to be gay and Shredder. I just want to say that, and all those characters who look like nothing from what we knew Masters of the Universe to be. Correct. <laughs> oh man well mm. that's actually the end of the album um you know J- jason goes on record saying that this is the band's finest album uh there was no drama going on at the time the band was in unison and they had great songs that they brought to the table he stated that after this everything changed the record executives oh there you go there's that theme again told mm-hmm. them they needed a hit record and that bleeds into the next album with jason which where, where say, were they when they were putting this record? Right, together? exactly. Which weeks and this thing's huge. That's it. That's it. And, and Jason would say the next album is unlistenable. Uh, mm-hmm. That album's first single was a Rolling Stones song, and the album uh, was just a series of bad moves and unwanted compromises. Uh, what's crazy is that that this this lost the band's momentum, and EMI shocking folded, uh, and they were kind of left in in the ether. Um, even though they had some more popularity in Europe. Jason would mm-hmm. say that the band was never a commercial success. He's totally honest with it. Uh, they would regroup in the nineties and actually he said, make money and release more records. Oh, um, you know, they're almost this mythical band that certainly doesn't get the credit. Um, it, it, and it's almost like an illusion as if they even existed considering they created a, a whole genre um, yep. for this album at this moment in time, things came together. I think so perfectly for these four guys. And, and this album is the embodiment of that yearning to push uh, the bodies and, or the boundaries, sorry, and create symmetry with a variety of influences that went against the grain. I mean, again, hearing punk and country together, you, you're like, you're like, how how can anyone do that? Well, they mm-hmm. did it. They did it. There are several bands too I listened to earlier and some really good stuff. But I'll say it again: when it comes to that 50s, 60s country and the early days of punk, this is the band and the moment 
where that occurred. And to me, that gives it a timeless feel. Uh, I give it a strong nine out of 10. Mark, Ooh. what about you? Ooh. I, I really enjoyed this record. I'm at a 7.5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really could have done with without, excuse me, uh, White Lies and If Money Talks. But again, I really felt like those were simple changes that if if the band had been taking it a little bit more seriously, were a little bit more focused on having a hit. I know that's right. not usually something people expect me to say, um, but I think that they had that kind of sound and that kind of uh, ability. It's just too bad that that record label just kind of went, all right, they're close enough and didn't bother to help out because really missed 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 opportunities with those tracks totally. um, you know, and the way they are i feel like they they weigh the album down a little bit but the rest of this record is still so damn good that it makes up a lot of points um you know in particular for the tone of it the attitude of all the songs the overall feel of the album yeah definitely check oh, out energy. this record and poke around at some of those other bands frank mentioned because you'll find some 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 things in there <laughs> let me tell you with the poking around you'll find some things in there that you like <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Cool, man. I'm so mm-hmm. happy that, that, that you enjoyed it. Um, since we're talking about kind of roots Americana music, let's do our top 10 of all things that fall into this category. Again, song, person, moment, whatever we want, because, well, it's our show. So you ready, Mark? Oh, heck to the yeah. Let's do it. Kick us off, buddy. All right. At number 10, it turns out Canadicana is a real thing, Frank. Oh. We didn't make it up. And you know what else is a real thing? What's that? Nordicana. That's mm. Americana in Norway. There you go. Look at that. Yeah. Another mashup. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So that was number 10. Number nine for me, uh, it's actually a video that I would direct people over to if they really mm. want to learn out about some some vintage country. Nick 13 from Tiger Army. We were a fan. His Amoeba Records, What's in My Bag video. It check it out. He knows so much about vintage country. He'll even admit like around the 70s, he doesn't he doesn't know that much. So everything is like 40s, 50s, 60s. You'll learn a lot. He talks about some people uh, that are just great and of course never got the the commercial success. Weldon Rogers, a guy named Tank, uh, Jenks Tex Carmen, who plays uh, like a slide acoustic guitar and has some native influences. It sounds really cool. amazing. Uh, Johnny Horton and uh, the Lubin brothers, who are totally, totally messed up group of people. So uh, check out that if you guys want to find out more about some vintage country. Yeah. And while you're at it, number eight, yes. Steve Martin, famed SNL alumni and comedian plays banjo like a beast and put out some cool records while doing so. Yeah. Check out those records. Yeah. He's amazing banjo. He really is. He's he's a fantastic, like he's funny as fuck and can play the hell out of a banjo. Mm -hmm. And and speaking of that, that's going to bleed right into mine is is the banjo. I'm going to throw the Mm. banjo and old instruments like the bazooki, both Greek and Irish in there. Uh, These are instruments that are so vital in roots music, uh, not only in America, obviously around the world. And, you know, I think people, um, you know, look at them and they're they're like, okay, they're cool, but they have a lot of historical significance. So banjos, um, mandolins, of course, bazookis, both Greek and Irish, really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, up next is going to be a Johnny Cash's American album series. Uh, while there were a bunch of covers on them, it was a great retrospective into how one of the greatest country stars cared for the art form, and we're all the richer for having those albums. Totally. Definitely check out those oh, albums. They're so good. They're so mm-hmm. good. They really are. I was kind of, ironically, I didn't 
it didn't happen to like I it wasn't thought out, but it's kind you of you did this kind on of, purpose. It's no, fine. they're kind of bleeding. <laughs> so number five is just the Carter family. Uh, mm-hmm. Their significance sometimes I think it's overlooked when we're talking about from like a all genres music perspective. Um, they were the first vocal group to record commercially produced country music that I mean mm-hmm. it's, it's it's absolutely astonishing if you think about them plus their song when the world's on fire uh is woody guthrie's this land is your land spoiler mm-hmm. <laughs> number four is southern rock mm. it's a style of rock music i dig frank it's very close to cowpunk but not as aggressive think of it um as stoner cowpunk I usually like to point to the Georgia Satellites as like my favorite southern rock band, but you just called them cowpunk. Now I need to go rethink everything I've ever known. <laughs> they were thrown out when people were you know mentioning bands and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I. But you know what? Though you said it, and I was like, oh, okay. You know what? I don't think that's wrong. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Now yeah. it's funny because there was a band mentioned rank and file which always gets linked to jason and scorches as far as when the same time they came out mm-hmm. i i didn't necessarily hear punk influences i heard like kind of uh, the modern band i could compare them to is like murder by death if you know that band uh um, yeah so like it's not really punk but i guess it was country more alternative so then that kind of happened but anyway okay you know, that that is what it is my next one mark uh i think you'll agree with me on this is the album king of america mm-hmm. um People across the pond love them some Americana, and Elvis is no exception. Elvis Costello, that is. His 86 album, King of America, displays all sorts of great influences from just American roots music and Americana, making it one of my favorites from him, and I think it's Mark's too. Mm, it, it quite possibly could be. I go back and forth with Elvis records all the time. I know. It really, because he has that ability to, what are you in the mood for? Elvis has it. Yep, thank you. You know what I mean? And like, and it's all good. It's all good. Somebody else who writes all good songs, absolutely amazing, is a a drummer uh, known as Levon Helms. Uh, Most folks remember him as the drummer from the band. The band. The band. (laughs) Um, But he's so much more than just a drummer. He's a pioneer in Americana, and he's written some of the most beautiful songs we as a people have ever known. Um, Check him out. There's a couple documentaries yeah. on him. He's absolutely fascinating. Um, just, the band just, is fascinating in general. The, the, too. Yeah, yeah, you can just watch documentaries about the band. It's absolutely you. You will spend all day not learn nearly everything you possibly could, and still be blown away at the songs they wrote. And then watch just Lee Von Helm's story <laughs> of his life. And there's like a whole other like four days worth of stuff. I mean, same thing with uh, what's the guitarist Robbie Robbie Robertson Robbie Robertson amazing his backstory is insane yeah and he's totally came captivating together. too when and, and mm-hmm. so is uh helm i mean when they both speak yeah. you're just like yeah no when when levon helm speaks you listen yeah thank you because you're thank just you. like yeah oh. yeah exactly just like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> number one mark uh it's mm-hmm. an obvious choice and, and we've we've said it multiple times over mm-hmm. so many episodes but I'm going with the Fear album. the bomb. We don't belong. Fear the bomb. We don't belong. Of course. Why, would, <laughs> why, why wouldn't I go for that? <laughs> it's an obvious choice for best Americana album. <laughs> Gee, gets all there. Mike Ness. Listen, mm. this is a completely a personal preference, but when I was 19 and this came out, there's no way I would have been playing anything other uh, than punk music or aggressive music or loud music, whatever you wanted to say. This record then comes out and it stretched my mind for the foundation of a lot of roots music. Again, I've said it on previous episodes, but I'm like, why is Mike Ness talking about Johnny Cash and all these country songs? This is a country album. And 
this was my gateway. This was like, hey, listen, mm. these things are connected. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit more uh, go, go into it also in this direction. So uh, to me, this this album is coveted. I know by both of us, it was yeah. my gateway into more classical country and, and mm-hmm. roots music. So um, that's it. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, that, man. I feel like we put a great list together. You want to know what we're doing next week? Dude, I would love to. So for next week, Keith, be patient. We're going to listen to <laughs> the Black Keys album, Turn Blue. Now, I didn't pick um, one of the albums with like a bunch of hits on it for the Black Keys. I felt like that was cheating. And Turn Blue does have this really cool bluesy feel to it. Um, and I thought that that might be a fun way for you to kind of stretch further down that bluesy rabbit hole and see if we can maybe find some things that you dig that you maybe didn't sure. otherwise think you'd be into. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm amped for it. You know, they, they've been on my radar for a long time. I know they're a popular band. It's just sometimes you get to listen to things and some sometimes you don't. Um, yep. Really intrigued by these guys as their two-piece outfit. And I, of course, how they create this wall of sound, you know, just being those two, to me, that spells creativity all over the place. So totally excited for it. Love the recommendation. And uh, I can't wait. So, yeah. That's that's our episode. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate you tuning in. Remember uh-huh. to like, share, subscribe, rate, review, suggest, maybe check out some of those bands Mark and I were referring to. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, everyone, and stay safe. Hey, guys. Say it with me now. Oh, my, my. Oh, hell yes. Oh, bye-bye. <laughs> the recording has ended. Oh.